Good evening. Hope you guys are doing well tonight. It is uh, really good to be with you as we uh, continue our study in the book of Jude. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It is um, the last book just before the book of Revelation, uh, which is the last book of the Bible. We'll have the notes on the screen, and you can obviously have some notes there. Um, before we get started tonight, I wanted to uh, uh, let you know that tonight's uh, teaching will be a little more uh, probably technical uh, in a sense. Uh, I'll be giving you a lot of definitions and working through um, some different types of things. Uh, tonight we're going to be focusing on the idea of false teaching and false teachers. And so uh, this should get pretty interesting pretty quick. Uh, if you have your Bibles though, we're going to go ahead and read uh, the first 25 verses in the book of Jude. Uh, scripture says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to condemn him for slander, but said to him, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct will destroy them. Woe to you, they have, been taken, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have destroyed they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and rooted, uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved for. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones 
to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. But be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Father, tonight we come before you and we open this, um, this book of scripture, this letter to the saints. And my prayer tonight is that you will help us to be a discerning body of believers. I know that this text kind of goes all over the place in so many directions and areas. But I want to pray tonight for a clarity of mind, a singularity of thought, and I pray that you will unify our hearts, mature us in the faith, help us to walk by faith, and to walk in truth. I pray this for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. A few months ago, my five-year-old daughter, well, she was five at the time, she's uh, six now, her name's Ella. Um, we were, I was taking her to school one day, I was driving in the car, and all of a sudden, she looked out the window, and she just gave me this loud, uh, distraught expression, and she said, Daddy, everything is broken. And I looked back, I didn't know if she had a toy that had been broken or, or what was going on. And so I, I kind of inquired and, and she started going through this list of things in the past two or three days that we had seen while we were driving around. And she talked about this apartment complex that we had seen. It had, it had caught on fire and it was burned and all kind of fallen apart. And she had begun to talk about um, a car wreck that we had seen. And when she you know, gave this explanation that, that everything's broken, she had just looked out the window and she had seen um, where a storm had damaged a fence. This was all within like a, a two-day period. And so her young little mind, everything that she looks at as she's looking out the window is broken right? And she looks out, and so we were talking through it, and uh, her conversation kind of went from this, everything is broken, and by the end of the conversation, she kind of comes around as I explain some things to her, and she said, well, not everything is broken, but, but some things are broken. And um, I looked at her, and I said, I said, yeah, that's right. Some things, some things are broken, but everything's not broken. And uh, I wanted to uh, talk to you 
tonight as we dig into the book of Jude, um, because a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about as we go through and we talk about false teaching and we talk about false teachers, I don't want you to walk away with the mentality that everything in the church is broken. Okay, I don't want you to walk away just like there's no hope for anybody. We're all broken, right? Um, no, the, the, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail. We are the victorious ones, okay? But in the midst of approaching this ultimate victory, there are some things that are broken in the body. And I want us tonight not to adapt a, a mentality that becomes critical of people or of teaching or of churches. I, I, don't want, I don't want to communicate in that way. I think we need to be very cautious and very, very slow before we accuse someone or label someone of being a false teacher or false teachings. I think we need to be very, very cautious in that, not to grieve the Spirit of God. Uh, but at the same time, we are called to defend the body of Christ. We, we are called to stand for truth. And uh, tonight, I want to help us kind of navigate through this tension if we can. Um, one time, one of the professors at Southeastern University um, made a phenomenal statement. And he said this. He said, um, you can have a critical mind without having a critical spirit, okay? And, and my heart for, for the body of Christ is not for us to walk around with a critical spirit, trying to call out every, you know, every teacher that doesn't align with exactly what we believe or every person that we feel like doesn't represent Christ well as a false teacher. I don't want us to have critical spirits, but I want us to be thinkers. I want us to have critical minds that when we hear false teaching, we can quickly identify it and call it for what it is and defend the people of God as we walk through that. Okay, and so as we go through this, I want I wanted you to understand my heart up front before we get into this. Um, everything is not broken, okay, but in the body of Christ, we've got to be careful because there are some things that are broken. Um, uh, Warren Wearsby, say that name three times fast. Warren Warren Wearsby. He's a great uh, Bible commentator. Uh, this is what he said about false teaching. He said, Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel preached by false ministers that produces false Christians. And this is very important. This is what he says. He says, Satan plants his counterfeits where God plants true believers. We see this echoed all throughout the writers of the, of the New Testament. They the vast majority of the writers who pen the New Testament, they oftentimes come back and they say, listen, you are going to have wolves, false teachers, false prophets, and they are going to come among you, okay? It's not watch out for false teachers. It's no, they are coming for you and they're, they're coming to invade. It's the principle of the wheat and the tares, Okay, the wheat and the tares principle is, is the idea that the wheat and tares are very similar and they, they mature and they grow up at the same time, but they are not the same thing. And so as we are a part of the body of Christ and as churches grow, as ministries grow, the likelihood that the tares of false teaching will try to creep into the church, okay? 
And the reality is, is that um, it's not just any one particular type of church that false teaching tries to infiltrate. It's all churches, churches across the spectrum. There are varying types of false teaching that try to creep in, but you can be guaranteed if it is a gathering of the people of God at some point in time, false teaching is going to try to, to, to burrow in, okay? Um, the thing to remember is that false teaching is nothing new, okay? Um, going all the way back to the Hebrew Bible in, in the Old Testament, uh, false prophets, false teaching, it was, it was so prevalent that God in the Torah, uh, he made laws. He made, um, he made um, uh, laws regarding false prophets that if a false prophet finds his way among you and he's fa- uh, falsely prophesying, that that person is to be stoned to death. Right, so it was it was so prevalent even back then that God, foreseeing it, began to make laws in such ways to, to counteract the false teaching. We see this um, with with Jeremiah. We see it with uh, uh, Elijah, uh, as Elijah goes on the on on top of Mount Carmel, he is contending with false prophets. Now. This is obvious because they're called the prophets of Baal. So we know that they're, they're of another spirit anyway, so we know that they're false. But in the book of Jeremiah, we don't see Jeremiah contending with false prophets of another religion. We see Jeremiah contending with false prophets of Judaism, of his religion. And Jeremiah says it like this. He says, no, listen, these people are, are falsely prophesying because they are prophesying out of their own spirit, but I am prophesying by the spirit of God, okay? So you, you have this, um, this idea, this concept of false teaching that goes all the way back to, to Old Testament times, um, even, even from the beginning in the garden, um, originating with, with Lucifer. Not only was it evident in Old Testament times, but false teaching has been present in the New Testament. Um, as I said earlier, Jesus even warned about false prophets. Most of the writers of the New Testament warned that they are coming among us. Um, but even in the book of Acts, even in the, the, the early years, in the beginning decades of the church, we see false teaching rise up in a way that was very confusing for those who were part of the body of Christ. If you remember in Acts chapter 15, there's a situation that happens where you have people as the gospel spreads, Gentiles are being saved, Jewish people are being saved, people all around are being saved, coming to the faith in Christ through the gospel, and people's lives are being radically changed. However, there were some Jewish people who had converted to Christianity that were still living by the law of Moses, right? Now, now Christ, what he taught is that he was the fulfillment of the law of Moses, right? That we were no longer bound by the law of Moses, that we were no longer bound to, to eat certain foods and to participate in certain activities, that Christ was the fulfillment of it. But you had some people that were Jews who were converted into Christianity, but they were still continuing to live by the law. And when they saw a person that was a Gentile or outside of their religion and practices, and they came to faith in Christ, they were trying to put on them the law of Moses all over again. 
These people thought that they were saved by grace, but these Jewish Christians stepped in and they said, no, but if you really want to be saved, you've got to do A, B, and C. And one of the most crucial issues in Acts chapter 15 was the issue of circumcision. Every Jewish boy on the eighth day, they had been circumcised. And in Old Testament with, with Abraham, it was a covenant with the Lord. But the, the people of God had been freed from that type of law. And so now you have a lot of people that are not Jewish. They're from outside the Jewish religion. They don't even have a clue what circumcision is. And these are grown men coming to faith in Christ. And you've got other grown men coming to them and saying, look, you think that you're saved, but if you were really saved, you would be circumcised. And so we want to circumcise you now. And what they were doing is they were putting them back under the yoke of the law. And so in Acts 15, what you have is this, um, what it's called is the council at Jerusalem. And all of the church leaders from hundreds of miles around, um, you had Barnabas and, and Paul, and you had uh, Peter who was there, and, and the brother of, of Jesus, James, was there as the, the, the leader at the church of Jerusalem. And all of these leaders come together, and they, they listen to all these discussions, and they listen to Paul and Barnabas who had all these encounters with Gentiles, and they were saying, no, I'm telling you, they haven't been circumcised. They haven't lived under the law of Moses, but they have been born again. And then you had Jewish people saying, no, but they've got to be circumcised if they really want to be born again. And listen to me, this is one of the most underrated, under-discussed issues in all of the New Testament, because I'm going to tell you this, if the vote would have went a different way, you and I would still be living under the law of Moses. But in the church and in, in uh, the council of Jerusalem, they began to process through all of this and they ultimately came to the conclusion that faith is not by works. You are saved by the grace of God, circumcision or not. And so it was an incredibly pivotal moment, but even in those early years when the church is just beginning to grow, you have this teaching of a works mentality trying to creep into the church, even in the earliest years of the New Testament, okay? So not only was it Old Testament, was false teaching prevalent in Old Testament times, New Testament times, but also throughout all of church history. So in your notes, you're going to find a list of words with some definitions behind them, and I, I just want to talk very briefly about each one of them. Some are going to stick out a little more than others, and I'll probably focus on those a little bit more. Um, but just stay with me, we're, we're going somewhere, okay? Uh, one of the most prominent false teachings in church history is doceism. And this was the belief that Jesus was not really a human being. In other words, they denied the incarnation of Christ, that he was actually born a human, he was born of a virgin. They believed that Jesus lived, but they believed he only appeared in spirit form. So they believed that he appeared to be a human, but he really wasn't human, and in that, they denied uh, the, the incarnation of Christ. Now, the problem with that teaching is, well, it's twofold. Number one, it's not found anywhere in Scripture, okay? 
But number two, what it does is it removes the element of the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf as humans. And so it has eviscerated the gospel as they teach this uh, strange identity. And so the church, what they began to do is they began to push back against this. They said, no, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He was fully human. And so the church began to push back in a lot of different ways. One of the most interesting and creative ways that the church began to push back is through art. And so you would have all of these artists throughout you know, much hundreds of years of church history to counteract this. And one of the most popular paintings that you will find of Christ is when he is in the form of a child. It's called the Christ child. And in almost every one, almost every one of these paintings, and there are thousands that you can look at online, but basically uh, the Christ child is almost always seen as nursing at the breast of his mother. And the reason that he's almost always nursing is because they were trying to contradict the false teaching that Jesus wasn't really human. And they were saying, no, he is human and he is so human that he is dependent on the milk of his mother's breast. And so we have a photo, just one I found an appropriate one. There are some that aren't so super appropriate, but uh, I wanted to show you an appropriate photo um, just so you can kind of identify. Um, that's not the photo, that's me. Okay, nope, that's not, nope, that's not it at all. Um, that's a video. Um, it's a photo of the Christ child. Maybe we, there we go, there we go. Uh, as you can see, this is Mary, and even her blue sash, there's symbolism all throughout this stuff. But you can see the Christ child nursing at the breast. If you go online uh, or, or search museums, the vast majority of photos with the Christ child, it shows him. That is why, though, they were trying to contradict false teaching even through their art. It was a brilliant approach to this. One of the other um, uh, very potent false teachings of the, uh, throughout church history is what we call tritheism, okay? Now, we are what we call, and you know this, I'm just, for what it's worth, we are monotheistic. We believe that there is one God, mono. Uh, theistic, that's one God. Um, there are other religions that are polytheistic. The word poly translated means many. So like the Hindu religion, they believe in many gods. But this particular teaching is called tritheism. And what it believes is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are actually three different gods as opposed to what we believe that there is one God represented in three different persons. And so there's this teaching that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three different gods, therefore they can act independently of each other, possibly even being out of sync or in disagreement with each other. Another very potent um, uh, false teaching is uh, Marcionism. And this is the belief that the God of the Old Testament was a lesser type of God than the God of the New Testament, okay? Now, let me explain this for a second. Because this type of teaching, although we don't identify it as such, is very prevalent in the Western church. The idea is that the God of the Old Testament was this vengeful, moody, um, uh, bloodthirsty, vengeful God that just wanted to slaughter anybody who disagreed with him. 
No compassion, no mercy, just wanted to eviscerate humans uh, as, as he felt. And what Marcion believed is that when Christ came incarnate, it was almost like the evolution of the God of the Old Testament into a new type of God, which would be God 2.0, right? This is a new version of God. This is something we haven't seen before. And he would only focus on the attributes of God that revolved around the ideas of love, compassion, mercy, those things, but would leave out the attributes of Christ that focused on the wrath of God or his anger towards sin or anything that could be perceived as as negative. And so um, what he began to do was he began to take the scriptures, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. He absolutely did away with the entire Old Testament, did not want anything to do with the God of the Old Testament. But he took the New Testament, he left in the Gospel of Luke, but then he uh, edited the Gospel of Luke to take out the things that he did not appreciate about Christ's life. He left it in a book, and then he took some of the epistles of Paul, edited them down, and basically made his own version of the Bible, which ultimately would be a different type of God than we see in the Old Testament or the New Testament, right? And here is the, the trouble, and this is, this is one reason, although this is an ancient, uh, an ancient false teaching, um, we can see seeds of it in, in many churches, even in America today, right? And the way that many people will approach this type of teaching, sometimes it sounds noble, sometimes it sounds honorable or very ideal, but indeed it's, it's, it's a false teaching. And basically, this is kind of how it will be coded sometimes, okay? Um, they will be people who basically disregard the Old Testament. They won't cut the Old Testament out of their Bibles completely, but they will eliminate the vast majority or avoid the vast majority of Old Testament scriptures, and they will focus only on the positive attributes of Christ, okay? And so when you go to have a discussion with people like this, to begin talk about theology, um, they will say things that, again, they sound noble and they sound very spiritual, um, but, but indeed it, it is a false teaching. Uh, for instance, if you talk to, to some folks about um, the suffering of Job in the Old Testament, there will be people who say things like, well, I'm not sure how to deal with Job or how to reconcile that, but this is what they'll say. I get my theology from Jesus, right? And that sounds super noble. That sounds, man, that's amazing. I, I've never thought of it like that. But what they're missing out on is that Jesus is called the Word of God. He is not just a part of the Word of God, but he is the entirety of the Word of God. And so even that phrase, as, as well-meaning and noble as it sounds, is a false teaching because we're not just given the life of Jesus to read over, we're giving the entire scripture as a whole in order to develop our souls. Am I making sense? Okay. Um, another major teaching, uh, especially prevalent um, back in church history, is Arianism. This is the belief that Jesus was a type of demigod. 
Um, those are my words that you'll, you'll not find that in, in church history, but, but it's oftentimes called the, the Superman heresy, and, and this is why it's called that. Um, when I say Superman, I mean Clark Kent, okay? Clark Kent was not human, right? He was more than human, but he was also less than God, right? These people embrace Jesus as a being that is more than human. They acknowledge, yeah, Jesus was, was more than a human, but he's less than God. And so the language that would be used is that Jesus is not of the same substance of God. In other words, Jesus is not God. He is a created being. And this was an enormous controversy that led to some of the creeds that, that we will talk about later, but that's Arianism. Uh, another uh, uh, teaching was, was dualism, and this is the belief that there are two equal opposite deities, that God is, is in power, but also Satan is like his brother and they, they have equal power, and they're kind of duking it out to see who's going to be master of the universe. Um, that's a false teaching. Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, he was a created being. Thus, he does not have the power to create. God, on the other hand, has the power to create and to destroy. They are not two equal opposite beings. God is supreme over all beings. And so all throughout Old Testament, New Testament church history, there are false teachings that just begin, they try to infiltrate the church again and again and again. And the reality is this, is that false teaching continues even today in many churches. It's obvious to us, or it should be obvious to us, that false teaching exists outside the church. False teaching has infiltrated our school systems and godless theology uh, um, uh, or excuse me, godless evolution. Uh, false teaching has invaded our political arena with political idolatry where, you know, well, if God can't take care of it, our kings can. That's, that's a false teaching. Um, there, there are things outside the church that are false teaching, and if we're not careful, we'll let those come in and dictate our theology, and, and that's not a good, good place to be. And so we need to be on the lookout for things outside of the church but even within the church, there are some things that we need to be on guard for. Uh, as I said before, uh, many of, the, uh, many of the, the false teachings of church history or even in the New Testament, um, they may look a little bit different today, but it's just it's basically the same teaching in a different outfit. You know? And so we, we've got to be aware of many of those things. But there are a couple of things that I, that I really want to highlight for us today so that we can be mindful um, because some of these are very prevalent in, in the church today. Number one is what I call the prosperity gospel, okay? And I use quotations because it's not a gospel. It's not the real gospel, um, but it's presented as a prosperity gospel. And this, this false teaching is a belief system that elevates the issues of this life primarily health and wealth. It elevates the issues of this life, and it oftentimes ignores the issues of eternal value, spiritual things. It focuses so much on how to get you wealthy, happy, not holy. 
It focuses on getting you more income, not making you more like Christ. Um, this is a, uh, has been especially in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, this was a very prevalent false teaching that invaded the church. And um, sadly enough, um, many churches opened their doors wide open to it, not realizing that this was a type of false teaching that would lead down a very bad road. Um, one of the most uh, disturbing trends that we're seeing right now is what we call the hyper-grace movement. Uh, this is a false teaching that believes that God, um, or excuse me, that grace, um, the grace that Christ has given us and forgiven us of our sins, gives us a license to live without restraint, okay? Um, this is exactly the false teaching that Jude is dealing with in his epistle. Listen to what he says. He says, these teachers are ungodly people. They pervert the grace of our God into a license for uh, immorality, and they deny Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And so this is what Jude is specifically dealing with. He's dealing with a people talked a little bit about this last week, um, this mentality that, um, you know, there's no need to repent of your sin. There's this mentality in the Western church of, listen, if you just come to our church and we're going to, you know, we're going to tell you the gospel, but there's really not a, re a need to repent. Just raise your hand, repeat this prayer after me, but there's really no need to repent of your sins. So sin is, is often substituted with shortcomings or fallings or, or whatever the case may be. And the gravity, the brokenness, and the weightiness of sin is never really talked about because um, there is just this mode of not wanting to offend people. And so what you have is you have these people that believe that they have been converted as Christians, but there's never been regeneration in their spirit. They have not been born again, thus their lives never change. They continue to sin. They continue to live in unrepentant sin. They never uh, turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It's a movement called the hyper-grace movement. And this is an enormous uh, false teaching that, that we are seeing all over the place in, in the West. Um, the danger in this uh, should be obvious, but, but part of the danger in this is that although in part the teaching has some elements of truth, Yes, we are saved by grace. Um, there, you know, as pastor always reminds us, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Um, I am kept by God. I am kept by grace. But the problem with this teaching is that it ignores so much of the other scriptures that teach about holiness, repentance, regeneration, being fruitful in our walk with God, doing what pleases the Lord, not what pleases the flesh, denying the flesh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following after him. Um, it denies all of these teachings that are so, um, so potent in scripture and people literally will walk into to churches believing that they are saved when they have never truly been born again. And I'm telling you, this is a very disturbing trend that we've seen. And I'm not trying to be critical. Uh, again, I, I hope you hear my heart in this. But I'm just saying that uh, Jesus made the statement, lest you be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
And so we, we, we as a church must defend certain doctrines like that, and we must help people understand. Listen, um, there is a way to do this, and there are a lot of ways that are not the way to do this, and we need to get people on the same page as we are. And so uh, the hyper-grace movement is a big thing today. Another uh, big false teaching is what we call progressivism. Progressivism is the belief that the gospel is inclusive of all lifestyles and all people, okay? Now, this is going to take a little bit of definition, um, but the belief is basically um, rooted in a very good quality of empathy, okay? It's, it's a very empathetic movement, and it basically stands and it says, it doesn't really matter what scripture says about certain issues. We need to be inclusive of all people. And so you will begin to see the LGBTQ community um, begin to um, attend churches or churches that will begin to have this exclusive movement with this. You will begin to see churches that open their doors to interfaith movements, which basically says, listen, um, you know, ultimately we're all going to worship the same God. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, come and worship with us. Um, this movement oftentimes um, uh, ignores uh, enormous parts of scripture, but some Sometimes outright denies the um, the inerrancy of Scripture or the validity of Scripture, and so it's a it's a very dangerous thing. But again, it's most of this movement is born out of a really good place. It's born out of empathy for others. How can we turn people away? How can we tell? a person that they must deny themselves? How can we tell a person that they must turn from this lifestyle? And so what has happened is that this empathy, which is a really good quality, oftentimes takes precedence over the truth of God's word. And when that begins to happen, even though empathy is an incredible quality, if empathy becomes more important than God's word, we're in error, okay? I want to remind us that Jesus was per perhaps one of the most exclusive teachers in all of human history. You remember, Jesus did say, anybody who wants to come to me. So in that way, yes, anybody who wants to come, any walk of life, any sinful activity, it doesn't matter. Anyone who wants to come to me can come to me. He is inclusive in that way, but he is very exclusive in the way that you must come. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, very exclusive, no one comes to the Father except through relationship with me. And so although this movement is very loving and tender and kind, which we should be and welcoming and inviting as the body of Christ, which we should be, where its failure is by not calling people to repentance through Christ, but believes that anybody can come in any way that they want to, and never have to surrender their lives to Christ. And so it's a very difficult thing to understand, but I'm gonna tell you this, listen, it's not just a teaching that is happening in a lot of more uh, liberal, um, uh, re when I say liberal, I mean religious, not, not well, maybe political, I don't know, but not necessarily political, but definitely religious. 
But I'm gonna tell you this, in our Christian universities, this type of teaching, is, it is blossoming. And I'm not just, I'm talking from experience here. I've sat with professors who have taught these types of things in Christian universities. And I'm telling you, it's troubling to the soul. There are major universities in this country I would never send my child to. Major Christian universities I would never let my 18, 19 year old kid go to because I know the type of false teach, teaching, excuse me, that they will implant in the souls of an entire generation. William Booth, the founder of um, uh, the Salvation Army, he foresaw this prophetically. This is what he said. I know you've heard this quote before. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. It is a sobering reminder for us, and listen to me say this, not just for us, but for our children and our children's children to hold fast to the doctrines of God and to protect them with, with all that we have. Church family, this is why men and women over the past 2,000 years have shed their blood is for the protection and the safe passage of this gospel from one generation to the next. These things, although you know, we're, we're talking about them, and if you're a part of Christian Life Church, um, you know, these things may be very foreign to you. You know what I mean? But I want to let you know that they are very alive and very well across this nation, and, and we as individuals need to be on guard. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest concerns that, that I have following uh, the pandemic, and I thank God for technology. I thank God for all that we were able to do as a church uh, through online services when we had to shut the, you know, uh, shut the church doors. I thank God for all that, but what it's done is it has opened up so many people from coming to a house of God where they hear from a man, uh, women of God, teaching consistently, being pastored, being shepherded, being led, to all of a sudden you have all these hundreds of voices that are constantly just a click away. And my fear for the Christian church is that we're hearing so many teachings that are actually contrary to scripture, but they sound good and they have big followings and it, it makes us feel good that we're just easily slipping into believing false teaching and not even realizing it. And so as much as I thank God for all that he's done through that, I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the failures of the pandemic or one of the bad things that have actually come out of the pandemic is this idea that, that we have dozens and dozens of voices that are shaping our spirituality when we need to be reminded that there is one true voice that needs to shape our spirituality through God's word, okay? Um, let me skip over a few things and, and get to, um, get to uh, the meat of, of what I want to share with you tonight. I want to remind you, again, that there is a difference between false teaching and immature teaching, right? Um, there is a big difference between a... 22-year-old who stands behind the pulpit 
and teaches the word of God to their best ability with the purest of motives, but they are kind of off in some ways. There is a big difference between someone like that and someone who is violating the historical doctrines of the church, and they know better. Okay, there's a, there's a big difference in that. Um, when my wife and I, uh, we got married very young. I was 19, my wife was 20. And my wife, up until the day that we got married, she had a curfew of 11 p.m. It was horrible. I was like, she's a grown woman, come on. And so being the good potential son-in-law that I was, there would be so many nights that I would pull up with my wife in the vehicle into the driveway at 10.58. We'd be curfew, we're good. But she and I would sit there in that car till I don't know, 11.10, 11.15. And then all of a sudden, at, at, every single time that we did this, all of a sudden, we'd begin to see this flicker of the porch light. Mama's little face was in the window. She's looking the switch, looking the switch. And in my defense, I thought, she's home. But in Mama's defense, she ain't home till she crosses the threshold, right? Then she's home. And the reality is this, is that there's a big difference between me getting my wife to on the property of her parents' home at 1058 and sitting in the car with her for a few minutes. That's the immaturity, right? But what rebellion is, is being in the car with my wife or, or my fiance at the time, going through town, speeding down the road at 2.30 in the morning, violating curfew, not caring what her parents think. That's rebellion. One is immaturity. One is rebellion. One is close to what should be. I, I've got her almost to the door. One's close, but one isn't close at all. And there's a very big difference when it comes to scriptural teaching between these two things. There are people that, that, that are close to what, to what God really means in his word. They're just, maybe some interpretation is off. Maybe they're just young in the faith. Maybe they haven't studied to show themselves as proof. And these things can, can be fixed, they can be remedied with a conversation. You understand what I'm saying? The, the immature, most immature um, uh, uh, pastors can be remedied by, by just a mentor coming along and just having an honest conversation with them. Me getting my, my, my wife to the door at 1058, that could have been fixed with a conversation from her dad. You know what I'm saying? That would have fixed it all. I'd have been like, yes, sir, I, yes, got it. But the reality is, is that there is some teaching that's not even close and there's some teaching that is full-out satanic, and there's some teaching that is secret and slippery, and we need to be on guard against that type of teaching, okay? And so as we look through um, the different types of, of false teaching, I want to give you a really practical way that you can quickly identify false teaching when it, when it happens, right? I love practicality. I'm going to try to help us all out tonight. And this is basically how I want to do it. I want to show you a photo really quick of, of these bubbles, okay? And basically what these bubbles represent are different tiers of doctrine, okay? What you see at the bottom here is doctrine that is never negotiable, okay? The second tier of what you have is doctrine that is somewhat negotiable, and then you have doctrine that's always negotiable, 
okay? So let me quickly run through these, and I want to I I just point out for you the quickest way that you can point out false teaching when you see it. Number one is this. The first here is, is issues that are non-negotiable within Orthodox Christianity. These are the issues like the incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth, the sinless life of Christ, the divinity of Christ, the blood sacrifice of Christ, the atoning death of Christ, the Trinitarian God, the resurrection of Christ. These are core issues. These are tier one issues that are never negotiable. And I'm gonna tell you the number one way that you can identify false teaching is when people begin to question or tinker with these incredibly scriptural doctrines that are also prevalent all throughout Orthodox Christianity and Christian history. When you begin to see people question or mess with these things in a profound way, if you even begin to see them question certain things, even from a distance, the reality is is that their heart and mind has probably already gone further than what they're sharing with you. And so what I would say to you is that when you begin to hear someone Even remotely, I remember reading a book years and years ago, probably 15 years ago. There was a guy, and it was all the rage throughout Christianity. Every pastor was promoting the book. The guy was speaking at every conference that you can think of. Uh, The book was, was phenomenal. It was supposed to be revolutionary and all this kind of stuff. And I remember reading a part of the book, and one sentence of the book just shut it all down for me, and this is what he said. He said, so what if Christ was not born of a virgin. That's what he said. He said, what is the big deal if Christ was not born of a virgin? And the quick version of this story is, 10 years later, the man is absolutely an apostate. He is teaching a gospel of universalism. He is teaching falsely. He is a false teacher at this point. He's a heretic. But my point is simply this. It didn't start with him being a full-out false teacher. It started with one question. So what if Christ wasn't born of a virgin? Does that really matter if he was born of a virgin? What if he wasn't? What if we had proof that he wasn't? Would it matter? Would it change anything? And it was that one question that planted a seed that grew into a tree of apostates. And so I want to just, just, just quickly and briefly caution you that there are some doctrines of the Christian faith that we need not mess with. There are other issues of the Christian faith. The second tier, the somewhat negotiable things, these are things that are important, but, but we shouldn't lose fellowship. Over it. We don't cut people off, right? If, if they... And, and, I'm, I'm just going to say we're, we're a church and we embrace, we, we believe that women should, uh, you know, have a place in the ministry, okay? But there are other churches that don't believe that at all, okay? They, they believe that the scripture teaches the contrary of that. The reality is this, is that you can build a case scripturally for this belief and this view, and you can build a case scripturally for this view. It's very confusing sometimes, okay? You can build two cases scripturally speaking off this, but listen to me say this. We don't cut people off because they believe one or the other. You understand what I'm saying? We cut people off when they deny the resurrection of Christ. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. I'm being a little dramatic, but you understand what I'm saying. 
we, we distance ourselves from people who violate the first tier of issues. The second tier of issues are somewhat debatable, right? So for instance, there are churches that believe that water baptism, we believe in the dunking, right? We just want to put them all under, okay? They're all coming up. They're going to be clean all the way through. There are other, um, uh, uh, there are other denominations that believe that sprinkling is the scriptural method. Then you got some that believe it in the pouring on of water, all these different things. These are debatable things, but we don't distance ourselves from people who sprinkle because it's a false teaching, no, that's not a core doctrine of the church. And so some issues, we can agree to disagree. And we can be kind and we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and we can love each other and we can smile and we can talk about the things that we have in common, not just focus on the things that we don't have in common. But we don't lose fellowship over some of those things. You got tier three issues, which things that are always negotiable, right? Like if we're gonna have drums or if we're not gonna have drums. Okay, that, that's always negotiable. That, scripture doesn't say anything about that whatsoever. If the pastor, I'm wearing jeans tonight, right? If I wear jeans or a suit, that, that's, that's not a scriptural debate. That's a cultural debate. That's a preferential thing. That has nothing to do with scripture. And so we never lose fellowship over stuff like that. Does that make sense? And so we've got to, now let me just say this, I think that every church has to create their own culture. You understand what I'm saying? I think that, you know, if you want to be a culture where, you know, every man wears a suit and every woman wears a dress, that's fine. I don't care about that. That's not an issue I'm going to separate with. I'm just not going to do that. And, and that's a preferential thing. It has nothing to do with Scripture. And so again, just to, just to clarify, there are some issues that are always negotiable. It just doesn't matter. There are some things that are somewhat negotiable. They're important, they matter, but we can agree to disagree. But there are some doctrines of the Christian faith that we distance ourselves from other people when they begin to manipulate these things, such as the virgin birth, the resurrection of Christ, the sinless life, those kind of things. And so tonight what I want to do um, in, the, in, in just a couple of minutes that we have left is I want to, I want to do something I'm not very comfortable with, okay? Um, I debated putting this in your notes because it's incredibly subjective, okay? And in your notes, it's under the title, Spotting False Teachers, Okay? This is very dangerous, a very dangerous thing to do, okay? So I'm going to trust that the Wednesday night crowd is mature in the Lord. They understand my heart. They're not going to go headhunting for anybody that they see that has anything on this list. Uh, I trust that we're going to be able to, to understand um, really what I'm trying to get at here. And the issue is this. I want to talk to you about some very common characteristics that are often found in the lives of false teachers, okay? Now, Paul would remind Timothy, it's not just about your doctrine. He said this, he said over and over and over again. He said, watch your life and watch your doctrine. In other words, watch how you live, watch what's in your heart, watch what's in your soul, and also watch your doctrine. What I wanna to talk to you about now, what we've talked about the last hour is doctrine. 
What I want to talk to you about now is some character issues that are often seen in the lives of people who blossom into false teachers, okay? Number one is this, is that there often exists a noticeable level of arrogance, okay? Again, I'm trusting, I, I need to say this, every pastor is flawed. Every teacher, every spiritual leader, we are flawed. If we spend enough time together, arrogance will probably pop out of me from time to time, okay? That doesn't mean I'm a false teacher, okay? I, I just want to clarify. But what I'm saying is this, is that if there is a consistent, noticeable level of several of these things in a person who is professing to be a man or a woman of God leading the people of God, you need to pay attention to those things. Okay, is that fair? Okay. Number two is that there often exists a noticeable level of rebellion against authority. These are people that do not want to be associated with any type of denomination. And I know men and women who are not affiliated with a denomination, and, but they're not a rebellious person. You understand what I'm saying? But there are some people that don't want any type of affiliation. They do not want any type of elder oversight. They are not open to correction. They are not open to leadership. They're not open to mentoring. They possess a type of anti-authorianism. Okay, um, this is a major key in, in many. Number three, which is what we've been talking about a lot here, there often exists a noticeable level of questioning the scriptures and orthodox Christianity. What you'll often see some, um, um, in, in, in many false teachings and in false teachers is you will see people that will all of a sudden have a special revelation that nobody in the history of mankind has ever had. God has shown them something that he's never shown anybody else. They have a certain understanding that, that nobody else has. And if you disagree, it's just because you don't understand or you're not as spiritual. Um, Paul warns against these type of people who do these things. And I will say this, we believe strongly in the prophetic utterance of the spirit of God in the people of God. We believe in the prophetic word. We believe in prophecy. We believe in all that. We believe that God gives words of knowledge and words of wisdom and, and special revelation. We believe that. However, we always, always, always measure those things against the word of God. And if it fails the test, it fails. John, he said, listen, test the spirits. Don't believe everything everybody says just because they say it in the name of Jesus test the spirits. And the way we test the spirits is through discernment, but primarily it's through God's word. And if it fails the test against God's word, then the word fails. Number four, there often exists a noticeable level of greed. Number five, there often exists a noticeable level of immorality. Dishonesty, sexual sin, unethical behavior, unethical leadership, these types of things, as they um, begin to be more common and more manifest, we need to pay attention to these things. We need to pay attention to a person who stands behind a pulpit and has had multiple affairs, multiple marriages against those affairs, and continues to refuse to be restored by spiritual leaders, but somehow finds themselves back in a pulpit. 
We need, to be, we need to pay attention to that. Why? Because Paul said, listen, don't just watch your doctrine, watch your life. Jude, in his epistle, you realize the only thing he says about what they're teaching is false is he says, look, they're using the grace of God as a license to sin. That's all that Jude says. What else does Jude point to? He begins to point to their lifestyles, not necessarily their doctrine. And so when we begin to see these types of traits become more and more common and more and more prevalent, we need to just pay attention to those things. Number six, really quickly, there often exists a noticeable level of a religious spirit, okay? Um, A works mentality, a very critical spirit, a very condemning tone and and condemning language. Um, We need to be aware when we see someone who camps out in that arena, um, too often. And then finally, number seven, there often exists a noticeable level of selfishness, okay? It's not about the body of Christ. It's about me, my agenda, my kingdom, that type of thing. We just need to be cautious when we do these things. Now, again, let me just say this. Every spiritual leader is flawed. Please, for the love of heaven, every spiritual leader is flawed. The next guy that you listen to on a podcast, when you listen to him, you're like, well, well, that seemed kind of arrogant, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily a false teacher, okay? But all I'm saying is watch for these things, and if they become common traits of a person's lifestyle, then we need to be very, very cautious of those things, okay? Now, very, very quickly, very, very quickly, within two minutes, Jude, I think in verse 20, he begins to talk about how we can protect ourselves from false teaching and false teachers. He gives us five different ways that we can do this very, very quickly. Number one is this. He says that we should build ourselves up in the faith. Stay in prayer, stay in the word, stay in fellowship with other believers, stay in the presence. He says, build yourself up in the faith. This is your internal defense so that discernment is always active in your life so that when you hear false teaching, your discernment meter goes off. Number two, he says that you should pray in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. We are to pray through the Holy Spirit. Number three, we are to stay in love with Jesus. Listen to me say this. Our doctrine and our theology can be right as rain, but we can also be grossly out of love with Jesus. And in the other vein, you can feel like you are grossly in love with Jesus, but be an error in your doctrine. And so this is why he marries these two together. He says, listen, you need to watch your life and you need to watch your doctrine. Stay in love with Jesus. Stay connected to the vine in intimacy. Number four, he says that we should eagerly look for the return of Christ. Now, how bizarre. Why would, why would he say that? Well, the principle is this. He's saying, listen, there, there's so much, you know, that you got to look out for. There's so much here. I want you to set your eyes on heaven so that everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that comes through your ears and comes through your eyes, it will be in such a way that you want to please the Lord in all that you do. So wait for his return, eagerly wait for his return, and in this way you will keep yourself pure. And then number five, he says this. He says that you should try to help those who are being deceived. 
So those who were leaning towards false teachings or those who were doubting certain types of false teachings, he says, when you go after them and you try to restore them back to the faith, in some way spiritually, it strengthens your own resolve in the spirit. And so Jude, uh, again, in, incredibly practical in many ways, but also very militant in his tone that we are to be the people of God who defend the faith that has once been entrusted to us for every generation. Amen. I hope next week you will rejoin us. Next week, we are going to dive into the judgments of God, which I know does not sound intriguing, okay? But I believe that the way that we're going to approach it is going to be of great encouragement to the people of God. And so I want to encourage you to be here next Wednesday. Amen. Father, we love you. We are so grateful. Father, my prayer for all of us is that you would keep us pure in our doctrine and in our life. Bless your people, your sons and daughters, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.